Ain't gonna burn ourselves out no more. Ain't gonna burn ourselves out no more. Got each other on our side, plus all the folks at Fried the Burnout Podcast with Kate Donovan. Hello, Fried Fam. Today we are talking about something that is near and dear to my heart and something that is not usually a big enough conversation in the world of burnout. And it really, really needs to be. Today I am talking with someone all the way from Vilnius, Lithuania, Paula Lyub, who is a mindfulness coach who helps neurodivergent women to treat or prevent burnout and live a life filled with joy and peace. She has recovered from a cycle of burnouts and not only has found inner peace, but lives life to the fullest without fear of ever burning out or getting overwhelmed as a neurodivergent person. Combining her own burnout experience with a background in psychology, yoga, and 18 years of mindfulness practices, Paula has developed a unique system that beats and prevents burnout by using a combination of science-backed and mindfulness tools. Paula, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. I'm so excited to have this conversation. So as per usual on Friday, the burnout podcast, we will start with your burnout story. So I'm going to sit back and let you tell your story and then I'll ask some questions. Okay. So my story in short, I would say it has like three stages. So I'll go into them in more detail, but in short, there was a first stage where I was going from burnout to burnout and not really understanding what's happening. Then the second stage is when I realized that something is not right and I went to change my life and I started to apply different changes and try different things. And it got better and the stage lasted for about four years when it was getting better, I was getting better, my life was getting better, but I was still coming close to burnout. And it wasn't until I reached the third stage, which is when I got my autistic diagnosis, which was final piece of my puzzle, mm. which helped me to un really understand what was going on and to fully recover and prevent further burnout. So my diagnosis was a final piece, the final puzzle piece that helped me to understand what was going on and heal completely. As, as many people who have late diagnosis, I lived my life hearing all the time things like, you're just too sensitive. And uh, yeah, it's a bit noisy, but there's no big deal. Or yeah, life is tough. We all get tired, but we just rest and carry on. And when I was diagnosed, I realized it wasn't just a bit noisy. It was completely dysregulating to my whole nervous system. And I wasn't just tired. I was actually burning out the whole time. So how it looked like is that first stage where I was going from burnout to burnout is I was living a life like many people in their 20s, working hard, enjoying my job, doing lots of things. I was working around 50, 60 hour weeks. And on top of that, I was volunteering a lot. And on top of that, <laughs> I was doing a lot of spiritual practice and mindfulness practice, which, which was really good because it helped me a lot. It definitely contributed to having more stress resilience and 
recovering faster from burnout. But it was just one piece of a puzzle. Like I said, the diagnosis was the final piece of the puzzle. But really for me personally, and for many people I work with, I see that burnout is, is quite a complex phenomenon. It can have many layers and it's not just like there isn't one fix and it's not about one root cause. It's, it's going through layer after layer after layer until you actually get complete recovery. So for me, I would say mindfulness and spirituality was definitely one thing that helped a lot, but it definitely wasn't a full solution. It definitely wasn't enough to help me prevent burnout or recover from burnout. So I was working a lot. I was volunteering a lot. I had my life completely busy and full and I haven't had even any holiday. Like I would use all my time for doing something, uh, what I used to call purposeful and meaningful. And it wasn't until one time when my role changed and I suddenly got a decrease to 20 hour weeks. <laughs> And that was the time when I actually allowed myself to go on holiday for the first time in maybe seven years, which is very unusual for Europeans. As, as Europeans, we like to go on holiday a few times a year. <laughs> so first time in seven years, I went on a holiday and I realized what it actually could look like to be rested. And I realized that I was running my life on like 5% battery. And on holiday, I realized like, oh, I could actually go up to something that I never thought was possible, but it was really only 70, 80% of my battery. And when I got back, I got back into that easier life where I was working just for a short time, 20 hour weeks. But that was the time when I realized that it can be better. You know, I can be more rested. I can be more balanced. And to be honest, I didn't care anymore if everyone lived like that. I didn't care if this was normal, but I said like, I'm not up for that anymore. I don't care if this is normal. I don't care if everyone else is doing that. I'm not doing that anymore. So that's when second stage started, when I started to rebuild my life. And it wasn't easy because a lot of us perfectionists, <laughs> we have this thing where we attach our identity to what we are and what we do. And it's not easy to say, okay, I'm not gonna do this thing anymore. I'm gonna do less of it, or I'm gonna do it differently. Cause then, okay, if I'm not this person, then who am I? What others are gonna think of me? How I'm gonna be perceived? How I'm gonna be talking to myself? But one thing that really helped me is when I read somewhere, this short phrase, I don't know who it was, but it said, don't focus on what's urgent, focus on what's important. Mm. And it just hit me and I thought, yeah, this, this is what I need to do now. And this is something that is, it can be really difficult because a lot of us who are in a stress response, who are very busy, we can get lost in this constant run and constant wish to just like complete, complete, complete all these tasks. And, and, you know, one task is completed and the other 10 pop up and it never ends. This is the key really. Like there's always going to be a thousand urgent things a day, but that's not important. 
what's important is my health. What's important is, is my well-being. And I need to take care of that first. And once that is taken care of, I can look at what urgent things are there to, to be taken care of as well. So this is what helped a lot, as well as working some of my boundaries. And um, it wasn't easy as well, like communicating with all these people, you know, telling what I'm not going to do or how I'm going to do things. Because really, the boundary work is not just, you know, how you communicate things. It's, it's all the things under there, like why you weren't able to communicate them before. All the work with limiting beliefs, fears, subconscious stress, mind traps, all that stuff need, needs to be worked with before we can actually set a boundary. Because it's not enough to find all sorts of beautiful wordings to say, set a boundary. If you are not secure in that, if you, are, you still have doubts about how people are going to perceive you, how you're going to be seen, what people are going to think, you know, you're still going to have the same stress around there. It's so I was doing a lot of that and I was getting a lot better. I was really getting a lot better and I was understanding myself more and uh, I came to a point where I even changed careers because I, I realized that this is what is better for me. And it, was, it wasn't easy. It was definitely hard and I almost burnt out, but I knew how to look after myself. And then the happy day came when I realized that I'm autistic. And again, it was, you know, going for a diagnosis was not easy. A lot of people might know when, when you're neurodivergent, late diagnosis can be very difficult to obtain. But I obtained it, and that was really the, the final piece of my puzzle when I really understood that I don't just feel like I'm different. And I could explain finally why, why it's so hard for me and why I, I had all these troubles and why I have different needs. And, and one thing I'd like to say to people who are listening and who might be suspecting they're neurodivergent is don't wait for a diagnosis and don't hinge the validity of your needs on diagnosis. If you are sensitive, if you are tired, if you feel like you don't like something, just accept it. Don't, don't wait for a diagnosis to validate what you're feeling or what you're wanting. Amen. What was it that led you down a road to searching for a diagnosis? Pride fam, I tell you in nearly every episode that step one of your burnout recovery is blood work. And I know that a lot of you avoid it because it's a pain and because your doctor has told you that everything is quote unquote fine. And they refuse to test all the things that you think you need. What if I told you that you could test what you want, when you want, from your home with just a couple of drops of blood? Cyfox Health allows you to do just that. You can buy tests as one-offs or join a membership. Either way, you can test and track your results to help you make decisions about your burnout recovery journey. Get 10% off any membership, subscription, or one-time test kit right now. 
Go to scifoxhealth.com forward slash fried for your discount. That's S-I-P-H-O-X health.com forward slash fried. So I just read somewhere about female autistic phenotype and I just got really curious because I studied psychology in university and they never spoke about that and I saw and I just have a curious mind I'm like what female phenotype what is that and it turns out that autism just looks different in females and I started looking okay so how does it look in females (laughs) and I started reading all these things and and well, but that's me. <laughs> and that's, that was also a time when it was very difficult time in my life. And I was very close to burning out again. And I was also questioned. And on top of that, I was also questioning like, oh, on top of this, I might also be autistic. And all that I'm experiencing now might be autistic burnout. And all these difficulties that I might be having might be part of autism. And it was very important for me at that time to get a diagnosis so that I can understand what's really going on. But looking back at that time, and like I said, it's, it doesn't matter in the end if you get a diagnosis or not. You know, if you have those difficulties, you have them and, and you are absolutely entitled to any resolutions or adaptations and, and having your needs met. The world of neurodivergence is getting more and more popular. We're talking about this a lot more. And there's a lot of influencers that are talking about their autism or their ADHD or a full array of, of different experiences. And people are grabbing on to the titles really hard. Like, I'm oh, oh I'm ADHD because I watched this YouTube video. Mm-hmm. And what is interesting that I find in burnout is that even if you spent the majority of your life, I wouldn't label my childhood as ADHD, but I would definitely label my burnout times as having ADHD symptoms and having my post-burnout times as having less ADHD symptoms, but many more symptoms than I was ever aware of in childhood. So there's this sort of like being burnt out will exacerbate any of the symptoms that you are dealing with or any of the sensitivities that you're dealing with that when you're feeling healthier, you might still have some sensitivities, but they might not bother you as much. And this is something that's like just learning how to, I think what you said is so beautiful, learning how to just honor what you're feeling and what you're experiencing and validate it for yourself without waiting for somebody to tell you, yes, it's okay for you to feel like this because you're autistic, because you're ADHD, because you're whatever. So I think that that's a beautiful way to to look at it. And I also encourage people out there listening to, to really pay some heed to Paula's words here. I could never work in an open office system. First of all, I work for myself and I work in a closet, so there's no one bothering me in here. But if I did work for a company, I wouldn't be able to work in an open open office system without noise canceling headphones. I cannot concentrate when there are conversations happening around me, my ear absolutely automatically tunes into them. I cannot block it out. I can't have a conversation and I just, it's not, I can't do it. 
So that would mean to me that if I ever worked for somebody, I either have to ask for high quality noise canceling headphones or the ability to work from home or remotely or in an office because I can't do it that way. I don't even understand how people can, <laughs> you know, so that that can be really hard. But and so I understand that that diagnosis, it's interesting that you said earlier that, you know, the happy day where I got my autism diagnosis, right? Like I got this, I finally, this key opened up in my life. So after getting the diagnosis and saying, okay, well, this is what's happening. What shifted in the things that you were already doing? Because you just said that phase two lasted about four years. You were already practicing mindfulness. You were already sort of trying to meet your own needs. You were doing a lot of self-care and showing up for yourself. So happy diagnosis day happens. And what shifts after that? I allowed myself to feel what I feel. Mm. I'll, I'll get a bit emotional here. That's okay. But uh, not just for myself, for all the other people out there, you know. Recently, the statistics came out that um, nine out of 10 autistic people over 50 don't have a diagnosis. Nine out of 10. That's in England. That's the statistics in England, but it's probably, you know, not that different around the world. I don't, yeah. I don't think situation would be much better anywhere else. So the thing is that I work with neurodivergent women, right? So there, there are two extra difficulties in burnout for neurodivergent women. So firstly, as you might know, a lot of women are socialized in a way to ignore their needs. Secondly, neurodivergent people are socialized that their needs are not real. Working with neurodivergent women is unpacking both things that, firstly, you deserve to meet your needs, you deserve to take care of yourself before anyone else, and secondly, what you feel your needs are, they really are. You're not too sensitive, it's not, not too noisy. If you feel it's noisy, it is noisy. So these are the two difficulties that I work with and uh, this is why it was a happy day for me is because I was socialized like a lot of us that what I feel and what I experience is not real right it's not true you're gaslit by society yes yes and that was the day when I realized that it is real and you don't have to wait for a diagnosis to allow yourself to feel what you feel and to accept what you accept but because we were socialized and we are not aware that we are socialized, you know, we just accept that as truth. This allowed me to unlearn and undo that socialization. You know, it's sad that I had to go through so much and get a diagnosis to allow myself to do that. I really wish that people could allow themselves to go through that and learn and prioritize themselves. But you, you don't know what you don't know, right? Right. So, but yeah. now we have this wonderful opportunity that within the first 30 days of this episode going out, probably about 3000 people will listen to it. So if out of those 3000 people, what are the statistics on autism numbers? Do you know? They vary so much yeah. that it's, it's impossible to know exactly. So as I said, there's so many undiagnosed people. Yeah. Um, so up until not so long, it used to be 1%. Right now it's around five percent but okay. the real number might be higher yeah so we're looking at anywhere from 
hundred ish hundred plus people essentially. And if even one of those people hears what you're saying right now and says, you know what, maybe I should just trust my body's interpretations of the world, my nervous system's interpretations of the world. Like, it doesn't matter if your partner says, I don't think the music's that loud, but you feel, I don't even say you think it is. You, For me, when, because there's times that loud music is okay for me and times where it's not. And when it's not okay for me, it's not that my ears are bothered. My body is bothered. Yes, your nervous system <clears throat> gets dysregulated. Right, right away. It's like, I just, I can't have it like this right now. Uh, stop it. So you've gone through this process. You shifted the way that you were treating yourself really at the end. You went through the difficulties of working through the the underneath reasons why we don't set boundaries, which is something we talk about on Friday a lot. So I'm really glad you said that. It makes me really happy. <laughs> and then you, you're getting better. When did you decide to start working with other people? What was the spark that made you say, you know what, there are people like me that need help with this and I'm the person to do it. So I've been in mindfulness around 18 years and throughout that time, I actually helped a lot of people. Because, you know, the, the way I did things is that I, I would go through to events, I would help organize some of the events, I would facilitate some of the events. So I always was helping a lot of people, but it was always more, more of a hobby. And it was around a year, a year and a half ago, maybe, that I decided that this, this needs to, to be full time because there is just so many people who need help. And it was, it was really the push of the people in my environment who are saying like, you have such a talent, you, you give such light to people, you give such clarity to people, you know, why are you wasting it away? Like, you know, programming. And I love programming, you know, I, I, it's comfortable. I don't, didn't want to leave it, but, but it, it happened so that I lost the job. Mm. Not from my own fault or desire, but I just lost it. And I thought like this, this is the final sign that I need to just go and do it now. And there are a lot of people in the neurodivergent world that are a little bit upset about techniques like meditation and mindfulness. And they're, they are afraid that those things are gaslighting them. Like, well, if you just meditate enough, then you'll feel better kind of thing. So how do you balance out your strong mindfulness practice and your ability to share that with people well, and this worry, like, well, do you think you're fixing my brain? You know, because there is this weird attitude about it. Mm -hmm. Do you find that or no? Is that just my yes. thing? Yes, yes. yes, you're absolutely right. A lot of neurodivergent people I talk to, they say that meditation doesn't work for them. Mindfulness right. doesn't work for them. And, and I see that a lot. And in practice, what, what actually happens is that there is a lot of practitioners and a lot of tools out there that are not really good quality. So they obviously will not work. <laughs> Fair. But also, I don't want to gaslight those people. If it doesn't work for you, then don't. And in my work, I actually combine science and mindfulness. So I try to use tools that are science-backed, or if I use mindfulness tools, I kind of make sure that it really works for the person. 
And I really understand how meditation might not seem to be working for, for people. I really understand how that can happen. Then I use breath work. I use other tools, art therapy. There's so much, so much out there you can use. What is something that you might try with someone? You're working with someone and they say, I've done mindfulness in the past. Like it doesn't, it doesn't work for me. And you want to, of course, validate their experience and you might have some tricks that might help it be more useful. So if someone was in that state and you wanted to encourage them to try something, what might you suggest that you think is different from the typical mindfulness advice that's available? So first of all, I would try to understand what is it that they tried because there's so many different tools out there. You know, there's meditation, there's breath work, there is yoga, there are sound therapy, art therapy, bodily therapy, aromatherapy, acupuncture. There's so much out there that might fall under that, that umbrella. And, and all these tools that may be so, so different that if, yeah. if, uh, if they didn't, you know, if it didn't work, like one tool didn't work for a person doesn't mean that all of them are bad. And I also understand that a lot of people have resistance to this, uh, let's call it woo stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I completely understand that. So I would come from a science-backed perspective. So one thing I, I really like that, that works for a lot of people is breath work. And I am a breath work instructor myself. And the reason why I love breath work so much is because you know how we have sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system, right? There is fight or flight response and there is a rest and digest response. You can't voluntarily regulate them. They just switch on and off. You, you cannot, like it's like blood flow, heart rate, all, all these things that you cannot regulate, except for one thing, breath. Breath, you can regulate, you know? And by using breath, you can switch off the stress response in your body. So there are people that are listening right now that are going, what? So I've been in the woo world for a long time. I'm an acupuncturist myself. I've been in Chinese medicine for 20 years. We talk about the breath a lot in this world. So th these are things that are really comfortable and familiar for me. And there might be some people out there like, yeah, yeah, I tried to breathe. It makes me panic. Or I've tried to breathe. It didn't do anything for me. Breathing made me feel worse. There's all these different things that could fall under the umbrella of mindfulness. And now we're saying breath work, and there's all these things that could fall under the umbrella of breath work. Say I'm a client. I'm your client right now. And I'm like, I've never done any breath work. I'm scared of this. Last time I tried to do something small in a yoga class, I ended up panicking. What should I do? There's one thing very important to understand about breath is that inhale activates stress response. And exhale activates rest response. So this is one mistake that a lot of people do. If, if someone is stressing or entering a panic attack, they, they just tell you breathe. And what a person does when you tell them breathe, they just inhale and that activates the stress response. So of course it makes you worse. But what you need to do is actually focus on exhale and try to exhale like as, as if you are blowing soap bubbles or as if you are blowing very gently through a straw. And that way you focus on that breathing out and make the, the exhale very slow and very gentle. 
and you'll see how you're calming down your body's calming down so you would recommend focusing on the exhale i have a, a really funny story to tell you guys from when i first moved to poland and i don't know if the words are similar in lithuanian but you'll find this funny anyway i was in a yoga class the first time and she was saying vdech 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 those are two different words that mean inhale and exhale vdech is inhale vdech is exhale I couldn't hear the difference between those words because I didn't speak the language yet. So all I was hearing was vdek, 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 vdek. And I was like, <laughs> I left this yoga class so tired. I had been doing yoga for over 10 years at that point. My body was like a mess. My husband was in the mall waiting for me. I went into the mall and he looked at me. He was like, you are so red and you look miserable. What happened? He said, she kept saying vdek. And he was like, oh no, Katie, you misunderstood. <laughs> Yeah, so you see how people can take mindfulness advice and completely misinterpret and do themselves harm. Yeah. I, I can totally see how that's happening. And if someone doesn't like something, I'm not going to force them to do something. We'll find something else that works. Yeah. Do you think that there are particular mindfulness tools that are more useful in neurodivergence? Like, do you... One of the things that I find to be true is the, this science background. If I can back something up in science and explain to someone why it works, I feel like it tends to work better because I think having this understanding also activates the function in your body, which helps. Is that something that you think is particularly useful to neurodivergent people? I wouldn't say that there is something that's more useful for neurodivergent than other people. Like at the end of the day, like we're not a separate species, right? <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> I feel like I am. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's valid to feel that. Sometimes I feel that I am as well. But uh, at the end of the day, ner nervous system works in a very similar way. At the end of the day, the way to turn off the stress response is either from movement or breath. So it's equally useful for both neurodivergent and neurotypical. It's just that what happens for neurodivergent is that we often get stress response sooner and faster and we stay there longer. So it's extra useful to be able to switch it off and to realize that we are in, in the response. So focusing on the exhale is one thing. And you mentioned movement. Again, we're in this big umbrella, right? Like movement could be yin yoga or tai chi, or it could be high intensity cardio. So when you say movement, what are you thinking of? So in, in the context of switching off stress response, if you are stressed, one of the things that helps is, is moving your body quite actively. You know, if you are in the stress response, you might go and do some jumping jacks. Or another thing is that progressive muscle tension, tense all the muscles in your body and then relax. And, and that kind of closes the stress cycle in your body. But I understand that people who are in burnout, it might be very, very difficult for them to do anything like that. So that's why when I recommend breath work, just, just focusing on, on the longer exhale. 
breaths, deep breaths into the stomach and longer exhales. And longer exhales. This is oh. something that comes up a lot here, this sort of when should I exercise? When shouldn't I exercise? When I was in the depths of my burnout, there's no way I could have done jumping jacks. That was not accessible to me at all. Before you're burnt out, when you're in the stress management portion of your life, absolutely close the stress cycle with exercise. This is, you know, the, the Nagoski sisters in their book, Burnout, The Secret to Unlocking the Stress Cycle. This is, this idea has been propagated. And then people are already burnt out and trying to use that same principle and find themselves really frustrated because they feel worse after exerting themselves. So we, it, this comes back to what I think I hear you saying this whole time, the through thread of what you're saying is Pay attention to yourself. Trust your body's responses. React and nourish those responses accordingly. And honor them. Regardless of a diagnosis, the type of thing that you're doing or, or using, you have to really spend enough time with yourself in a burnout recovery process to know and to learn what things really work well for you and and what things don't. It's not bad if somebody suggests something that doesn't work for you. It's not perfect if somebody suggests something that does work for you. It's just a lot of trial and error. Yes, yes, absolutely. And uh, yeah, for a lot of people I know, any sort of workout doesn't work in burnout. That that's that's true for a lot of people and and that actually can, you know, make things worse and, you know, that can stimulate stress response. I also have heard for some people who are autistic specifically, like they are so used to their daily routine that it makes them so happy to go running, to go running right. in the morning. And if it makes them happy, then, then do that. For me, it was swimming. I absolutely loved swimming and it is a rigorous exercise, but it made me so happy. And it's not just that after exercise, you get those endorphins and you, you feel better, but also I love the sensation of the water gliding across my body. It was so soothing that I couldn't imagine anything better in my life. So whatever feels right for you. I love that. If there's somebody out there and they're saying, I probably need to work with you right now because I think that there's some things going on in my brain and my body that other people have just misunderstood. Where is the best place for people to find you? Who's your best client, your ideal client? So you can find me on Instagram, on LinkedIn. You can join my Facebook group. The best thing to do if, if you actually are interested to work with me is, is just to book a call with me and I'm giving out 15 free roadmap calls to all the people from who heard me from the podcast within within a week or two of the airing. Um, so that's, I think, the best thing just to get on a call and, and get direct advice. And, uh, you know, if you are later, if you're hearing the podcast later and, and haven't gotten a chance to get into that, then you, you can get into my Facebook group where I share more tips trainings have some workbooks there what's but the name of the facebook group neurodivergent mindfulness oh i love that thank you 
Is there anything else that you feel like you really need to say before we wrap up because it's sitting in your body and you think people need to know? Yes, actually I do. So when we talk about that so many people are not diagnosed and some people might think, oh, maybe I need to check it out. They would go to the medical resources and check the medical list of symptoms. And these symptoms, they are in the medical jargon and they are framed in a way that sounds disordered and lack oriented. So I wanted to read out an alternative list of symptoms that people can relate to more than medical jargon. Some common signs of neurodivergence, heightened sensitivities to sensory input, like smells, bright lights, certain sounds, textures, etc. Easily distracted, having hundreds of ideas a minute, rich inner world and deep thinker, pattern recognition and complex problem solving, enhanced creativity and unique perspectives, nonlinear thinking and divergent ideas, heightened empathy and emotional intensity, can be very honest or naive, hyper-systemizing and order in chaos, verbal eloquence and unique communication styles, practices behavior or speech in advance, detail-oriented and meticulous observation, feeling like you're from a different planet, needs a lot of alone time. So that's an incomplete list. Just some ideas. (laughs) I think that that's super helpful. I found myself being like raising hand emoji, raising hand emoji, raising hand emoji. (laughs) (laughs) I think the big message, Fried Fam, that I want you to really feel today and I hope you feel this every time we're together, if I'm honest. The thing that I want you to really feel today is that you deserve to pay attention to your needs and get them met, even if you've been taught that your needs don't matter or aren't real. I think, Paula, you said that so well today, and I think it's a beautiful gift to give all of our fried family all over the world. So thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great talking to you. All right, Fried Fam, that wraps up another episode of Fried the Burnout Podcast. We would love, 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 and sincerely appreciate a review, especially if you're listening on an Apple product, because that is the way we get charted. Currently, we are charting in Norway, in Estonia, in Bermuda, and in the United States, Australia, and I think England and somewhere else. I don't remember all of them. But the more reviews we get, the more places we chart, and the more people can choose to heal from burnout. Until next time. Ain't gonna burn ourselves out no more. Ain't gonna burn ourselves out no more. Got each other on our side. Plus all the folks at Fried the Burnout Podcast with Kate Donovan.